Welcome to Where I Come From, a podcast dedicated to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatwin, and this week's guest is Doug McDermott, Creighton All-American, Naismith Player of the Year, first-round draft pick, and forward for the New York Knicks. We talked about growing up in Wayne, Nebraska, the keys to his college success, the complications of playing for his dad, his struggles in the NBA, and what it's like playing with Russell Westbrook. If there wasn't a basket on the wall taped, I would like pretend it was, and I was just always bouncing the ball. There was always kind of an elephant in the room, and I remember I I tried going out there a lot when he wasn't there. Honestly. Oh really? Like I'd I'd try and avoid the awkwardness. Like I'd always text my mom or call her like his dad home. I never really felt like I was Mr. Big Time, like walking Creighton's campus, just because people were so used to seeing me. That's something that really bothers me is when people say. Here's Greg McDermott's record without his son. I'm not trying to make excuses, but the NBA, like, you only get so many opportunities. This is where I come from. Believe it or not, NBA general managers don't set their schedules to this podcast. Saturday afternoon, Doug McDermott was traded for the second time in seven months. He and Ennis Cantor are moving from the Oklahoma City Thunder to the New York Knicks in exchange for Carmelo Anthony. He'll be playing 41 games a year in Madison Square Garden. It's an interesting time in McDermott's career, but it doesn't change 90% of our previously recorded podcast conversation. Enjoy. What is your first basketball memory? First basketball memory um, that, that really clicks with me is when I was uh, really little in Wayne, Nebraska, uh, at Wayne State when my dad was a coach. Um, I just remember being so fired up every time I like, had a game at Rice Auditorium, throwing on my ball boy shirt with the number three on the back, my name, me and my brother on the bench, just, you know, kind of being the water boys. And we just thought it was the coolest thing in the world, just a couple thousand people in the stands. And I just I just remember those days. You know, there was probably memories before that, um, but those are, those are the ones that really stick with me because um, it was kind of the start of my dad's journey as a head coach. And... Uh, I'll always love Wayne just because of those days. You were two when you got to Wayne, I think, yeah. uh, when you took the job, and like seven when he moved away, something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. Um, do you? Your mom used to sort of mock you for your uncoordination, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd she'd say you'd, you'd fall down a lot. You'd uh, you know, hey, you didn't get hurt that time. Yeah. Uh, when did you kind of get skill wise? When did you start to to say hey I might be good at this yeah I was always kind of like clumsy in a way as a kid I loved the game I I would find a way to just imply basketball everywhere like if it was in the living room I would if there wasn't a basket on the wall taped I would like pretend it was and I was just always bouncing the ball doing something Um, so I was always falling down tripping over stuff so they always used to give me a hard time but I never really got hurt so I think that really helped me in college when I'm around the rim and falling all the time off those off-balance shots. Um, you know, it just goes back to the childhood days. And I think it really started clicking for me when I was, not until I was like in high school, honestly. Really? Um, you know, I was a late bloomer. You know, I was always a good player. I was always a good player. on, like probably one of the better players on the teams growing up, but I didn't really stand out like that. Um, but, you know, I'd say after my sophomore year of high school, I really started to just develop. I grew. I was starting to really work on my post game. I already knew how to shoot, and I had some guard skills because I wasn't as tall. And then it all just started to click, and I was playing with Harrison Barnes, who's the number one player in the country, so I got to go against him every day, and I got to play in front of Coach K, Roy, Bill Self, all those guys. So, And they all thought I was pretty good, but not quite good enough, so right. I had a chip on my shoulder, and uh, I never looked back after that. Did you have a hard time moving around a lot as a kid? I mean, some you know, some kids really have a hard time when they're when their dads yeah. taking them all over the place. You moved three or four times. Yeah, I, I loved it, honestly. Really, I really do. I like it. Really grows you, um, and you really got to adapt to different you know different situations. You know, I uh, have so many friends from different towns now, and it's just it's cool looking back because you know I'll come to Omaha and I'll see a bunch of guys that are from Wayne. I'll see people that are from Ames or Cedar really? Falls. Like, it just it's awesome being able to have those connections everywhere. Um, it's tough at the time when you're young, 
Um, but for me, I got really lucky with the timing of my moves because when I moved to Ames, I was going to be a freshman in high school. So everyone was new at the high school. You know, my brother kind of got screwed because he was a junior. Mm. So he had to leave all of his high school friends from Cedar Falls. Um, but for me, it really worked out all the timing of the moves. And, you know, I have a lot of great relationships because of it. Coaching life is extraordinarily time consuming. Mm-hmm. Did you... Did you see your dad a lot? Did you did you find yourself, you know, missing your dad when you were a kid? Yeah, I mean, it, we were just kind of used to it, you know, because that's, that's, what, that's what he had to do. Um, so I just got used to it at a young age, always being around my mom. Um, as I got more into high school, I was hoping my dad would be gone, so my mom's a little less strict. <laughs> so I could be out a little later with the friends, maybe sneak out the back door every once in a while. Um, but, uh, you know, I think... We just get used to it as coaches' kids. I think you could ask any of them. It's just kind of the way our life is. You know, in July, you're never going to see your dad. <laughs> you know, they're always be on the road. So um, it's just the way it is. Um, and, you know, I think it's just we saw him plenty enough. You know, it, it, he was still around any any chance he could be. So it's not like um, it wasn't a, a problem at all. Was he scary at all? I mean, he's six eight. He's a big guy. Uh, did he, yeah, he could be scary. Did he, he? He'd definitely be scary. Uh, you know, he's a big dude. And, uh you know, whenever we'd maybe get in trouble with my mom, she'd maybe just wait to punish us till my dad got home, and that's that's when we were in the room, you know, hiding, you know, <laughs> but uh, he, uh, you know, he was always around, he was always there for us, um, he taught me a lot about the game, obviously working with him a lot, going to his camps when I was younger, um, just always always having him around, um, him being a big guy in Northern Iowa, he's he's got great footwork. He's not very athletic, but uh, he he really knows the game. And my brother's a huge golfer, and my dad was also. People don't really realize he was at Wayne State. He was the golf coach, the head basketball coach, and the AD at one time. So he was always always had something to do. He was his own boss. You know, we always went out to the golf course, messed around, um, and then he could get us in the right side of tournament whenever we wanted. So that's kind of the. The way it was in in, uh, in Wayne. When's the last time you played Wayne Country Club? Oh, I couldn't even tell you, man. Probably 15 years ago. I I haven't been back to Wayne enough. Um, I'm in Omaha a lot. Someday I just need to hop in the car and go to Wayne. You know, um, stop by Runza and Wayne, or <laughs> go to Pomida. You know, it's just it's such a great town. Uh, so many memories there, and just like a lot of a lot of really good friends um, from Wayne. You had an experience, I think it was in junior high, my memory's a little bit foggy, where you had you were leaving a junior high tournament or something like that, and you hadn't done well, and your dad was in the car, and I'm trying to put the pieces together. Uh, refresh my memory where yeah, that it, was, was, in, it was kind of like a, we're either going to do this, or we're not going to do it, or something like that. Yeah, that was, that was in... Uh... That was in Indiana. That was in it's called it's a tournament called Spice, I believe. It's a huge AAU tournament in uh, Fort Wayne, and I remember I was playing with Harrison's AAU team, the All Iowa Attack, and I just wasn't playing that much. Like, I was really disappointed because I was on another team that I really enjoyed because I was kind of the guy, and I, I thought I was a pretty good player, obviously. And then I go on this other team, and maybe they already had their rotations figured out, and I was just kind of that guy on the bench, and I just I was really I was really heated about it. And uh, I remember telling my dad, like, like, am I really not, like, good enough? Like, and he, he's like, no, you're good enough. Like, try to keep me up. And I just remember, like, th- at that stage of my life, I think that was before I even grew. So I was like, I was like, maybe I'll just, like, be a manager, like, try and get into coaching somehow. Like, maybe I, I like the game a lot, but maybe I'm just not quite there yet. Um, and he definitely just shut it down, talked me out of it. I remember it was a long ride home. And probably the next year or so I started growing so it all started to come together and you know those experiences along with not being heavily recruited just it puts that chip on your shoulder and when you're going to the gym and working um, you always have that in the back of your mind and it just makes you a better player. Now some guys though um, I mean I know a lot of guys who aren't good enough and are overlooked and they don't have a chip on their shoulder they just kind of say I'm not good enough, and it's not going to work out. Why do you think you had it? Why do you think it motivated you rather than turning you away from the game? Um, just because you know my love for it. You know, I was around it my whole life. Um, I had dreams of you know being, you know the the Nick Collisons, the Kirk Heinrichs, the Kyle Corvers of the world. You know, I just always wanted to be that guy because those two played on my AU team. So growing up, 
you know, we always looked up to those guys. And I was like, if they can do it, I can do it. And, you know, I knew there'd be adversity along the way. Um, no one's going to have a clear path. You know, it's just, you go through that stuff and you got to have a lot of luck on your side, you know, a lot of prayer, you know, and it just, it just really worked out for me. And, and uh, I just kept working. That's just kind of the way I've always been. If things aren't going right, you just, you do more. And, and that's kind of what I did. What's the biggest personality difference between you and your dad? Um, you know, I'm a lot more reserved. I'm a lot more kind of shy. You know, he's super good with people. He's a, he's like one of the best guys, you know, in terms of relationships with, you know, boosters. He just overall is just such a, a really good guy. I, I'm a good guy too, but I'm just a little <laughs> more laid back. Like when we're in an airport, this guy, like he's almost looking for like the, the attention. Like someone will recognize us and he'll be like, how you doing? How you doing? Yeah. You want a picture? Yeah. Doug's right here. I'm like, come on, man. Like. I'm different. Like when I'm in an airport or like a mall or something, like I don't, I'm not like big timing people, but I just don't like the attention. You're pulling and, your hat down. Yeah. I'll pull the hat down. I'll put on the shades. Like I'll do everything I can just to be avoided, but it's not because I don't want to interact with people. It's just, that's just kind of the way I am. And he's the complete opposite. He'll, he'll do it all. He'll sign the autograph. He'll, it, it's just the way he is. And it's a good quality to have. Did you have a hard time adapting to the attention not only of being, you know, a college All-American, but also being, like, for instance, being in Ames, Iowa, where mm -hmm. uh, his dad is the coach at Iowa State. You know, and that's, yeah. that's kind of a big big thing for a high school kid. Yeah, definitely. I, I got used to it at a, at a pretty young age, um, just being the coach's kid. But, you know, another thing that helped me out in high school is I had Harrison, who was Mr. Hollywood. You know, he was number one. He was number one player in the country in a small town in Iowa, so... I was around the attention a lot. When we went to gyms in, in Iowa, it was sold out. You know, there's girls in the stands yelling out their numbers to us. Like, just every <laughs> everything. Like, everything like a high school kid's dream. Just because we had this Harrison guy on our team. So, I was used to it at a really young age. And, it, and in college, obviously, everything happened. Um, you know, going from the Valley to the Big East. Bigger stage. So I just kind of progressively got used to it. As the story goes, uh, Roy Williams and Danny Manning are walking out of no Bill Self and Danny Manning are walking out of uh, the high school at Ames, yeah. and uh, and you're in the parking lot, and they ask you uh, a good breakfast place to go to. Yeah, I sent them to the Grove. It's like <laughs> the best pancake in in Iowa. Um, but I remember like that situation. Like I was like, maybe they'll like talk to me. Like maybe they think I'm good enough to at least come give it a shot. But they're asking me breakfast recommendations. I'm like, I got, I got to go to a mid-major probably. Was it hard? Your dad is struggling in those years at Iowa State. Mm -hmm. I mean, I imagine there was quite a bit of criticism in Ames of the program at that time. Yeah. How did you, what did you hear and how did you deal with that? You know, I didn't really hear a whole lot. You know, everyone there is so nice. Um, I think, like, obviously the message boards would probably say otherwise. But right. People didn't come at me or my brother or sister or anything like that, you know, because I also think if if I wouldn't have had the success I had in high school as a player, it could have been a lot different because we kind of, when Iowa State was struggling, our high school team was kind of like the talk of the town. Oh, really? So, like, we were in the paper. We were on ESPN playing at Hilton Coliseum. Like, we kind of had all that attention, and... Uh, you know, so you were a little bit insulated from what was going on with exactly. Dad. Did yeah. you talk about it much? Not really. You know, he he always did a good job. You know, he had a lot of bad luck at Iowa State too. Like, I've never been a part of a situation where it was so such a tough, so tough from the beginning. You know, he lost all these players due to APR. He was having to bring in guys that probably weren't good enough. You know, he was playing a lot of walk-ons early, and he just got off to a really tough start, and uh, you know, couldn't really recover. Because the Big 12 also had Kevin Durant, uh, Michael Beasley, Blake Griffin, you know, all those Kansas And all teams. the guys in Nebraska, Doug. I yeah, mean, yeah of, you know, like Tweety Carter, think of all was the that great his name? <laughs> like think Doc of, Sadler's teams. Think of all the great Nebraska teams. <laughs> and like AC Law, you forget about those A&M teams. Like he had to go against some tough teams. Yeah. And I think that's the difference um, when you look back. You know, if he was there, I'm not, when he, if he was there, when Fred was there, like the Big 12 wasn't near as good. But, you know, I think... Uh, that's just the way it was. You know, it was really tough competition, um, and I, th I think it made him a lot better coach too. Um, was it, was it awkward, 
when you decided to go to Northern Iowa? Was it awkward that your dad hadn't offered you a scholarship? Was it offered? That, I mean, I know there was a little bit of tension there, not necessarily between you guys, but just in terms of, like, what am I going to do? Yeah, know? yeah. You know, it, it wasn't really awkward, honestly, because I let him know early that I, I didn't really want to play for him. Hmm. I, I just I just didn't want to be the coach's kid really that bad. And the way things were going at Iowa State, I just – I thought it'd be better to, to go to Northern Iowa where maybe I, I fit the mold a little better. And he's obviously pretty much brothers with C- Coach Jake there. You know, it's like his, I guess it's like his son, you know. So he, that felt comfortable to me. He went on all my visits with me. Um, he was very supportive, obviously. And then I just remember, like, when that Creighton job came open, it just, it just like, it just all clicked. Cause I was like, I can still play in the Valley at a probably better situation for me with my dad and it just why did you did you consider sticking with the UNI commitment I mean not really because okay. before he took the job before he accepted the Creighton job he wanted to make sure like we could do it together oh really and I was I, and that's I think that's a big reason he wanted to take the job and it's good for our whole family I was able to play you know we were able to move to a great city um, and I made sure to call I was so scared to call Coach Jake and my dad, I was like, can you just call him, man? He's like, no, you got to call him. And I just remember that was, like, the toughest conversation I've had. Because, you know, I was already signed up for summer classes. Like, literally the day before, I picked my roommate for the dorms. Really? And then it just turns just like that. And, you know, it puts them in a really tough spot. Um, but, obviously, uh, I, we've all we've all recovered from it. And, uh, you know, we're all still really close. Have you considered, I mean, there's so many amazing hypotheticals, you know, with what happened in those years yeah. uh, I mean from conference change to um, you know not the Dana Altman part of it mm-hmm. have you considered what might have happened had you went to Northern Iowa I, sometimes I think about it um, you know I, and me and Grant Gibbs really think about it because I remember he told me he was between Creighton and Northern Iowa and I remember he asked our AU coach at the time like how good I was and my AU coach really stuck up for me saying I think you need to play with that guy and uh you know I think me and Grant could have very easily been together at Northern Iowa so it's I try to think about that but I also know coach Jake's style of play like he's probably not getting up and down letting us make mistakes on defense and my dad kind of let us go he kind of changes style of play and that's what really made us all all uh, really good. That really surprised me about your dad because you know I watched those UNI teams and even the Iowa State teams to a degree, and it wasn't a lot of fun to watch. No. You know, it was plotting. Uh, it's grinding. They're yeah, just grinding it out. And then you know after your freshman year, when you guys went to the CBI or CIT or whatever it was, I mean yeah. it it clicked. Uh, and it was like watching you that next year. It was amazing because. You know, your dad, who, who for years had, it seemed like, was telling the offense to slow down, yeah. was suddenly, like, yelling at you guys to go, go, go. Yeah. And it was like, wow, this guy is becoming an offensive coach. Yeah. And it was it was the equivalent of, like, watching, who would be a good example? Bill Belichick yeah. suddenly become, like, this. Like Harbaugh be, like, a spread guy. Or right, like, you know? right. It was like, wait a second, what's going on here? Uh, yeah, did it, you see that coming, or how did that how did that evolve? It kind of evolved. Like I just I remember practicing for that CBI. That was my freshman year, right? Yeah, the end of my freshman year. I remember practicing. We were playing a lot of the young guys together. You know, I think the older guys kind of knew like we we're kind of preparing for the future. That's why we we're in the tournament, and we just had the personnel where it worked. Like we had guys like Ethan and myself, like who can really shoot the ball and. We can play together out there at the four and five, and we got some really good energy, high energy guys like Jahens and Josh and you know Chat and Antoine. We can all we're all really good offensive players, and I think they kind of saw that, and we kind of just it was an experiment. You know, the the link wasn't like packed at all. Like it, was, it right. felt like it was super weird, but I feel like if that if it weren't for that CBI, like that was probably the most important part of our kind of rebuild you know I think that's what started everything and at the time none of us really wanted to play but the practices were fun we were scrimmaging we weren't doing like any drills like it was like the greatest time ever and and that those are the days that um that started all of it so your dad what was there a moment where your dad surprised you though during that process yeah I would say like the practices that's what that's what surprised me because I we all thought dang we have to play in this CBI like Sponsored by some pen company? Like, what is, what is this? 
And we thought that we thought it was so they could kind of kick our asses in practice for a few more weeks. That's what you think it like, would be, yeah. But it was like kind of the opposite. We were like having fun. We were we were playing against like teams like Davidson, like who play that same way, right? So I think oh, like the scores were in the hundreds. Yeah, like that's the stuff that kind of kind of built us. When did you realize? I mean, the, the sophomore year is when you make the big jump, and every great player I think has a moment where they realize. I'm really good at this. When did you have that moment? Was it sophomore year, junior year, senior year? When did you realize, holy crap, I think I'm better than I thought I was, and I might be as good as anybody in the country at this? Yeah, I never, uh, you know, I, I would say it even came before that. I think it was like the summer after my freshman year when I got that USA invite, and I was like just training so hard to make that team. Like, I didn't think I was going to make the team. I was just happy to be there like for the for the tryouts and then next thing you know I'm like starting on the team and I'm like dang like these are like the best players in the country who was on that team it's looking back it's kind of weird like it's guys like Jeremy Lamb and like Myers Leonard like a lot of guys are in the NBA that are on their fourth or fifth years uh who else we have Patrick Young um James Bell from Villanova like it was like a lot of guys you don't really remember but they're still really good players um but still, like, I was playing against some of the better players in the world. Like, Jonas Valanciunas was Lithuania at the time. Um, I forgot who the French, the France team had. Like, maybe, like, Rudy Gobert and, like, big guys like that. But that's when I, like, started to think I fit in with all these guys. And then I would say sophomore year, um, you know, got off to a pretty good start of the season. But, like, that San Diego State game yeah. where I think I had a huge game. We came back from like 20 points. Um, I would say that's kind of when it officially hit me, and I, I had all the confidence in the world just from that point on throughout the rest of the season and the rest of my career. Yeah, confidence. I mean, your, your confidence is, is inter- has always kind of fascinated me because when you don't grow up a star, mm-hmm. I guess it would seem to me that there would be times where you would kind of fight it, you know, like, Am I as good as these guys? You know, where it's almost like it goes back to childhood where you have those doubts. Yeah. Do you do you confront that? Is that a challenge for you sometimes? It is, yeah, because you know I've I was always just kind of under the radar growing up. Um, you know, in throughout college, honestly, I started off as a coach's kid. Probably wasn't going to play like my first year, but injuries happened, so I was forced to play, and I never really got used to the the spotlight and how good I was. I was always just kind of just humble, like in the background. And, you know, I think it makes me, it probably made me the player I am because I never really got caught up in the, the hype. Like I was never like a huge attention guy. Like I always just wanted to be under the radar. And I think that allowed me and allows me now to just focus on basketball and none of that other stuff. Mm. Some of those guys that grow up as, you know, McDonald's All-Americans, they know how good they are and they, they can get caught up in that stuff because – Teams are coming out of them out of college, you know, offering them stuff probably, you know, all that stuff. I was just kind of self-made playing for my dad, and I think that's really helped me and probably is, is why I'm here now. You didn't get you didn't get distracted. You didn't have a chance to get distracted. Exactly. I never really had that chance, you know. And I'm at a place like Creighton, too. You know, if I'm at Kansas or Florida, it could be a different story. I could be getting caught up in all that stuff. You're at a major school, like, where there's a lot of distractions at Creighton. You know, there's not many students, and, you know, those professors treat you, you know, like you're their kids. You know, it's it's like a family at Creighton. So I never really felt like I was Mr. Big Time, like, walking Creighton's campus just because people were so used to seeing me. Like, my professors didn't treat me any differently, hmm. and that's what I really liked about it. I could, I could go to class every single day, and no one say a word about the game last night, which was – why I love it here. There's when, when you play basketball, even when you play pickup basketball, there's this, there's kind of a, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to call it an unwritten rule, but there's kind of a sense of, okay, I've been shooting it a lot the last five minutes. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to share the ball here. Yeah. Don't, don't take two shots on consecutive possessions. Exactly. When did you kind of clearly at some point in your college career, you, you realize that, Hey, I'm the guy on the floor that we want taking the shot. And, I can take 40 of them, and it doesn't, you know, it's not too many. You know, I I never really had that mindset, honestly. I just think we had so much, so many actions that were um, 
for me. Like there were a lot of reads that I could do. So I, I always knew I'd have a chance to score each possession just the way our offense was set up. But I think teams just started taking away stuff, and that allowed guys like Rogge and Jahans and Grant, all, all those guys, to, to get their own. And I knew, like, there'd be a time of the game where you can't leave Ethan. You know, you can't, you can't leave Ethan because he's going to bury it like you saw against Villanova. Then the next time we play Villanova, they glue, they hug Ethan, and I have all this room in the paint. So that's that was more my mindset. I always knew I had good players around me. Um, but a lot of our stuff, like I said, was was geared towards either me or Ethan, and that would allow everyone else um, opportunities just based on the way they were guarding it. Freshman year, midway through freshman year, you start, uh, you get into hypnosis before games. Mm-hmm. Why and what was the, what was the effect? Um, you know, I, I just always like got real anxious. Uh, I never used it in high school or anything. I met Jack Stark here. Um, and I was just really like kind of intrigued by it, like because I, I had never played in front of that many people, seventeen thousand. And uh, I remember Jack telling me he did it with a different player. I forgot who it was with Altman, but he said he really liked it. And I was like, All right, I'm gonna give it a try. So I, I went. It was before an exhibition game. It was it was a smaller game, so I was I didn't want to try it out against Wichita or like a big game. So I remember uh, we went back to UNO hockey locker room, which is like a dark room. Uh, this is kind of weird, but uh, yeah, this he is ended like up, sorry, he ended up really getting me calm, like just the way um, it's not really like he's hypnotizing you. Like it's more like visualization. Visualization. Right? It's not like you're hypnotized, like he can dictate what you do. Right. It's more like uh, just really visualizing, like some some good memories from the past to try to get you in the right state of mind. And I remember after that, I had a huge game or something. I felt so good in warm ups, like everything felt blocked out. And I just, I just stuck with it. It was like almost like a, just a routine, you know, like I'd feel like I'm missing something if I didn't do it. And he would travel with us. And if he wasn't, he'd call me on the phone. I still use him in the NBA, not quite as much as I, in the NBA, it's like you have a game every other day. So you don't want to get worn out with like a routine. Right. So I try and mix it up a little in the NBA, but that that was huge for me. How long before the game would you do it? I would do it before we'd even warm up with the big guy. i do it like probably an hour, an hour okay. and a half. So I would do it before I ever stepped on the floor for warm-ups or anything. And then I'd do that, and then I'd go in the locker room, listen to some music, and just kind of try and revisit what I did with him before I went out. Tell me about the story at, uh, was it Missouri State or Southern Illinois, where you're like, you couldn't find a place to do it? Missouri State, yeah. <laughs> that was wild. Uh, <laughs> I remember he w- he couldn't make that trip, and he's like, all right, well, let's just try and find, like, a auxiliary locker room or, like, a, like, even a bathroom. So I found this, like, bathroom, and it was a really nice arena, their new arena, so I didn't feel dirty sitting on the floor or anything. Um, so I closed the door in the bathroom, sat on the floor, made it all dark, had my headphones in. I think they were noise canceling, so I couldn't hear much. And I was sitting against the against the door, and we were like midway through, and I just heard a bunch of banging. Like this lady was like trying to like she must have got the key and was like shoving me in, <laughs> and I was like all thrown off. I felt so embarrassed. Um, I told Jack like, "Hey, sorry about that." So I just hung up on him right away, and I felt really like all caught off guard and. That's that game at Missouri State where I had a really big second half, and uh, I'll never forget that. That was that was hilarious. Your favorite college game is what? Um, whew, senior night. I mean, it's hard not to, you know. That that was just I just felt like there couldn't be a better ending at at a you know at a place like this. You know, I think obviously the tournament didn't go the way we wanted to so you know and we didn't win the Big East that year but just that senior night vibe that atmosphere you know just all those speeches by the guys were incredible um, everyone stayed in their seats for us it was uh, it was it was unbelievable hmm. um, compare the pressure not necessarily the difficulty but the pressure of playing that role at Creighton playing for your dad, being the focus of the team, to being a first-round draft pick, you know, playing against the best players in the world. What's the what's the mental comparison? Um, the the first round, that deal is a lot tougher. Really? A lot tougher, not even comparable. 
because when I was playing for my dad, like, at Creighton, like, people don't realize, like, I never really, I never really had adversity, like, in college. Like, it was all good. There was no, no, like, negative stuff, really. Like, everyone in Omaha, you know, so positive. Yeah, you even know, when you lose. Even when you lose. That's why you're a little different. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I'm just messing. But, uh, you know, I think just all the positivity, there's really, there really wasn't any adversity in my four years at Creighton. And then I go to the Bulls, you know, I don't play as a rookie. I get hurt. You know, I'm playing for a coach that doesn't play rookies. So you have a year there where it's really adversity right after you went through an amazing four-year stretch. So just being able to bounce back from that was tough. You know, Fred came in and played me. Like, I'll always appreciate Fred for giving me that chance after not playing at all as a rookie and being able to show that I can do some stuff. So I'll always appreciate Fred for that. But I would say to, to get to your question, the the NBA, the being the being the pick, the high pick, and living up to that is a lot harder to have to live up to playing for your dad. Especially when you're not getting a lot of opportunities. Mm-hmm. Like at Creighton, you'd play I don't know, 80, get, 80 possessions a game. I get twenty t- shots, you know. Yeah, it's, you, it's you different. You touch the ball 150 times. And that's what that's what people don't realize. Like I'm not trying to make excuses, but the NBA, like you only get so many opportunities. Like you can you can't control all that at times. You know, you're playing with guys that have you know established themselves as superstars. Like you can't just all of a sudden get 15 shots a game. So that's why it's so hard. You just got to put your head down and work every day. And like sometimes the games aren't going to go the way you want them to because you can only control so much of, of what you're doing. And, well, and when you're the fourth option on the floor, mm-hmm. say, for instance, I mean, I remember so many games, and I've had this thought with Kyle, too. Yeah. But it's like, he's open, he's open, he's open, throw him the ball, throw <laughs> him the ball, and instead, you know, it's a pick-and-roll action, and like a fadeaway 17, the point guard takes a fadeaway 17-footer, and mm-hmm. it's like, you just kind of, you know, your your forehead hits your yeah. hits your hand, and it's like... God dang it! You that's know? just, but that's just the way it is. You know, I've gotten used to it. That's just the way the NBA is, and that's why Kyle's had such a long career is because he's accepted that. You know, he hasn't complained at all. You know, he's one of the best shooters in the world, and he's realizing his presence out there alone is making them a way better team. You know, I know it's not like he he didn't hit shots in the finals like he like he usually does. I mean, he hit some, but. His presence alone out there allows LeBron and all those guys to get to the rim. So I think that's the part of the game some people don't realize. Um, they sometimes people are just quick to look at this, the stats and assume you didn't play well if, if you didn't make many shots. But there's so much more to the game, especially in the NBA, the way these athletes are and the way they can guard. That just having the shooter out there is, is huge. But mentally, the difference with Kyle and you is he was never at your level in terms of like skill set versatility, all the things that he could do. So I think he maybe went into the league recognizing that this is what I'm going to be, yep. right? Yep, for me and it's a little I, different. I would imagine that it's been tougher mentally for you because you do have these skills that aren't necessarily being utilized, right? Definitely. Has that been a challenge? Yeah, it's been, it's been a challenge. And, you know, I, I just try to keep working on those things because I know someday it's going to pay off. You know, I'm only on my going into my fourth year. I hope to play, like, another ten years just like Kyle did and, Someday I'm gonna be able to show it, and you just don't know when. And that's that's kind of what we've been talking about. You know, I've had back in the day, you know, adversity, that chip on my shoulder. That's that's what motivates me to get in the gym every day. Is I know the kind of player I am, and I I know someday, you know, it's all gonna pay off. Do you study Kyle defensively? I do. Yeah, I, I watch him quite a bit. Because you know, he's like a surprisingly good defender. He is, and he, you know, he wasn't great his first few years. He's really learned, and I, I talked to. Mike Dunleavy, <coughs> excuse me, Mike Dunleavy a lot, um, just trying to figure out ways, you know, because those guys have done it for a while, you know, and you're usually the guy that's being picked on if you're a guy like us, so you just got to find ways, you know, and the way that you... What are the ways? Like, what are what are the little... It's a, it's a lot of being in the right spots, because, hmm. you know, if you're, if you're in a, like, if you're in the wrong spot on help and you have to do a longer closeout, it just gives them such a much better advantage. And if you look at guys like those those two, for example, they're never really, like, in the wrong spot. Like, they're always, like, in the perfect spot to close out, like, take charges. That's another thing I have to get a lot better at is being able to stick my nose in there and take more charges. 
Uh, my dad always gives me crap about it because I've never been huge on it. He's, he's always like, for as much as times as you're on the floor on offense, like falling away, like just stick your body in there and, and take a charge. And that, that's something I'm working on. Mm-hmm. Um, the You mentioned the concussions in, in year two, right? Mm-hmm. No, but year three. You'd never had that happen. Never, no. What was what an odd experience for a basketball player. It was happened weird. twice in two weeks, right? It's twice. Yeah, I, I just remember the first one was uh, Luis Scola kind of got me in the face, like two two possessions in a row, and I didn't really feel anything. Like after the game, I remember talking to the the, the doctors. Um, I just felt like more of a headache from it, and then I just didn't sleep well at all that night. Like I was up like all night, and that's not really normal for me. So I let my trainer know and. Um, we just took, I forgot, we just took a few days off and I was feeling better. So they, I passed all the tests. I was good to go. But then the uh, second one, I legitimately, legitimately landed on my head. And uh, it felt like the United Center was like a, like a cloud. Like I, there were so many people in there. It was loud because I almost had a huge dunk. But it just felt like I was like in a different world. And I, just, I remember Rondo just yapping, are you going to shoot the free throw? Are you going to shoot the free throw? I just, that's the last thing I really remembered. And I remember... Waking up the next day, you know, tough headaches. Um, but luckily, you know, the the research on it now is so much better. They know how cautious you got to be. And I remember I had some great doctors at Rush Hospital in Chicago, um, Dr. Kathy Weber. And then I saw a specialist on the side for – the Bulls were on the road for two weeks on the West Coast. So I was just in Chicago by myself for like two weeks going to rehab, going doing all this stuff, and finally got it better. Um, but it was it's scary. Like I, I see the I see the issues the NFL has with it and you know, it's something you just gotta take your time and when I got back I felt hundred mm. percent. Um you you were a part of some really interesting locker rooms in Chicago with Tibbs, <laughs> with Hoiberg versus, you know, Jimmy with uh Dwayne Wade and Jimmy versus Rondo. Uh yeah. Derek Rose was part of that the first year. Yeah. How did you adapt to that? That that had to be a little bit of a different world. Yeah, it was a different world. But another thing is, you know, it's never really as bad as like people think. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I'm not talking bad about Chicago, but their media likes to build up stories that are usually not even close to as bad as you think. So, uh, you know, it, it was. I learned a lot in those times, though, just because I was playing with all these guys that, you know, the alphas. You know. What did you learn? Um. You know, I just, I kind of learned, I learned how to be a professional. Like, I'd say that's the main thing. Like, Joe Keem and Powell and guys like that just really, like, they're so good at, like, controlling a locker room. Like, those two's presence, like, we didn't really have many issues. Like, I know Tibbs is kind of his, it was his last year there, so there's a lot of drama there. But our team never really felt that. Hmm. And once, once those two left, once Joe left, like, it just, it just felt different. You know, he was such a huge presence. Um, D Wade came in with Jimmy and Rondo and we had all those expectations and you know I think they just blew that story out of proportion honestly because we had a team meeting two days later and everything was fine between the three of them and all of us Um, but that's just the way it is there Um, but looking back I mean those were those are some fun times just because I was able to play with all these all these stars and you know the locker room was always fun man I, I really I really just think stuff gets blown out of proportion What's weird about the NBA, though, is, and this is true of most professional sports leagues, but sometimes the media knows more than the players. Yeah, I mean, I, I learn all my stuff on, tw- <laughs> like, through my dad or on Twitter. Like, I, I don't really get on Twitter anymore, but I learned Paul George was coming to the Thunder. My dad called me. He's like, you see that? I'm like, no, what happened? Yeah. Like, it was on the golf course. Like, the media knows everything these days. Like, they'll write reports about stuff like that I know is in the locker room like how did they know that like who's telling them this stuff but it's just the way it is like it's just today's world with all this social media um, people just have so much access it's crazy you got traded I don't imagine that's did you know that was coming like what was it what was that situation like you know I I knew there was a chance because I remember just talking to my agent closer to the, the deadline there's a chance, but I really didn't think it was going to be Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. Like that's why, that's that's why I was really shocked. I, I had no idea it was going to be the Thunder. Um, 
but I was really excited because I grew up loving the Thunder, and I was just so thrilled Taj was coming with me because he's one of my favorite teammates I've had, and it would have been tough going there alone to that team. And um, was part of you happy to get out of there? I was. Yeah. I really was. Um, you know, I, I love Chicago. I love the city. I had so many great friends and relationships, but I was just kind of ready to get out. You know, um, it's it's. It's tough playing in that city. The fans are phenomenal. You know, I loved a lot of things about it, but I just think I fit more of an Oklahoma City type place. You know, it's more like Creighton. It's more like Omaha. Like the everyone's so happy, upbeat. You know, they support us so well, and um, it just I'm more of a I like that kind of that size of city better too. You know, when when Hoiberg went to Chicago, I was really excited. Not just for you, but mm-hmm. because I'm a big Fred Hoiberg fan. Mm-hmm. And then they bring in all these guys who can't shoot, and it's like, what are you doing? You know, this is gonna be this is gonna be a disaster. Yeah. Uh, did you did you and Fred ever kind of you know throw your arms around each other, or uh, uh, what was the, how did your re- relationship change amidst all that turmoil? Uh, you know, the, let me ask you first. Did you sense that it might be a disaster? I mean, if you look at the roster and look at how Fred coaches, you know, you kind of start thinking like that. Um, but I knew I fit, fit it really well, so I was excited. You know, I was like, okay, well, I'm one of the only shooters on here, and Fred's going to need a shooter at some point, so I liked my chances. Uh, but, you know, Fred, Fred, uh, he's such a, he's just such a good dude. Like, he, he'll adapt to anything. And, you know, I think it obviously – we started the year with D Wade and Jimmy, like and Rondo, like shooting it really well. So people were like, kind of intrigued, and then it just kind of hit a hit the fan a little bit. Um, but you know, Fred just he's just never really negative. So me and him always had a great relationship, always working on people shots, you know, with each other after practice, before practice. Like he was always in there with Rondo and D Wade. Always had great relationships with the guys. Fifteen years from now, when you're forty mm-hmm. and you're sitting around at a golf course with with your buddies and they're asking okay Doug what was what, what's the most interesting thing that happened to you in the first three years of the NBA what, what do you remember what are the what's the story that stands out about a teammate about an opponent about a game uh, what are you gonna say uh, I can't really share some of it <laughs> a lot of it's dealing with Joe Kim Noah too uh, you know God, there's so many good stories. Um, I would say just Fred's first year, um, or yeah, Fred's first year. Um, always go back to this. We were in San Francisco playing the Warriors. We had a couple days off. Is this the game you won? Uh, no, we didn't win. Or did we win? I don't remember. It was a re- Jimmy was balling. I don't think we ended up winning though, did we? God, no, you didn't. It was really close. It was though. really close. Like, I think it went over. We, we should have won. Yeah. Um, but I just remember we had a few days off, and Fred took us all to Napa Valley. And I was like, is this real life? Like, this is what the NBA is like? Like, we have a game in two days like, against the Warriors, and we're up here in Napa, like, wine tasting. Like, it was, it was unbelievable. Like, it was, like, one of the funnest times I've had. Uh, so that, that was, like, that was super cool. Like, Fred, you could tell he was really trying to bring the team together, and we were all just, like, you know, probably a little worn out from the year before you know it was a tough year like and Fred just came in and you know doing that trip was super fun just with those guys those guys know more about wine I know more about wine than I ever did now so like just being around like the Pau Gasols the Joe Keems uh D Rose like all those guys were just so good to me when I was young um and they just accepted me and and that's that's a story going up there I won't share everything that happened but that (laughs) trip was fun uh the Houston series this year, it's a pretty big spotlight, you know. Um, what's it like being in a playoff series like that? It was a, it's a weird it series. It's a weird series to be in too, you know. It was pretty much my first playoff experience, and I was in it with Tibbs, but I didn't play. So um, that's a tough team to go against in the playoffs because all like rules like are thrown out the window because the way they play, like they don't. They don't like shoot mid-range shots. Right. Like, it's only threes or layups, and they all have this certain way that they can draw fouls at any time, like, uh-huh. which is so frustrating because you're taught to play defense a certain way, but now you have to put your hands back at all times and move your feet. So it was so hard 
you know, to, to prepare for that because all the stuff we were talking about during the regular season kind of went out the window and we had to change our ways. But it was, I thought it would be perfect for me because that's the tempo I really yeah. like. And I, I showed some glimpses in that series, but game three just really, I think it was game three at home. I, we were down to, no. Yeah, we it was game three where just all the momentum was drained when, when they beat us in that close game. Yeah. I, I really thought if that game would have gone differently, we would have won the series, but that's just the way the playoffs is. Hmm. Um, I want to hit you on a couple quick hitters, mm-hmm. especially involving your dad. Did you ever uh, – did you ever – was it ever awkward? He never really got a lot of credit for Creighton's success during your years because it was like – that's Doug's team. Yeah. Was it ever kind of weird, like, you know, hey, this guy's doing a good job yeah. here, you know? That's something, uh, that's something that really bothers me, is when people say, here's Greg McDermott's record without his son. It's like, <laughs> so... They do say so that a lot. So he wasn't, he had nothing to do with my success. Like, he didn't develop me into the player I was. He didn't put in the offense. Like, he didn't get these guys around me to be successful. Like, that bothers me so much when I see that stat. Like, cause he's the one that made me who I am. Like, made me the player I am. Like, I was a six, seven, one hundred eighty pound kid that like had no like. I mean, I was good, but like he he brought me to a different level. So that's what really bothers me when people say that. Like, he deserves so much more credit than what he's what he's been given. And because people just always look back, oh well, he doesn't have a son anymore. His son made him who he is. But it's it's like the complete opposite. Like he made me who, who I am. Did you, how did you handle the Ohio State thing a couple days? Like, did you, what did you tell him? Um, I talked to him about it for a while, and I know it was really tough for him, tough on him, just because he's gone through, you know, he got to coach me here. You know, he's had a good run. They're throwing a really good contract at him. You know, it's a pretty good job. Top, I'd say top 10, top 15. Yeah, you, country. you recruit McDonald's you All-Americans. You recruit McDonald's All-Americans. Uh, I know it was tough on him, but I just, I remember he talked to me. We talked, you know, I didn't know which way he was completely leaning. He was tough to read a little bit. It was kind of weird that whole 24 hours. I couldn't really get a hold of him that much, but he, I remember him texting me the next day telling me he's staying, and I talked to my mom for a while, and I just think he, he has so many good relationships here. Like, his his life is, his life is just so easy here. My sister's a, a junior in high school now. Um, he works for probably the best AD in the country, who's very flexible and lets him do what he wants. And I just, I just think he's happy, man. And sure, they're offering a few more million dollars, but he told me like, money doesn't buy happy. That's that's basically what his decision came down to. You've probably figured that out a little bit in the NBA too, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, money doesn't buy happy, man. Like, it's uh, it, like if you're comfortable somewhere. Like, that's why you see Westbrook, he stayed in Oklahoma for as long as he has. Like, he's happy there. Like, he could go to these big big teams, but you can just tell he's just a he's, – he's set there. Like, everyone treats him well. He's, he's got it made, and that's kind of what my dad feels like, like here. When's the last time you played your dad one-on-one or a horse? Um, dang. We haven't played in a while, probably just because he's scared. It's never, <laughs> it never gets brought up. Like it's not even a. Did now it's on the golf it, course, it, and I'm starting to become a better player than him too. So he doesn't really have a whole lot. Like I'm a better ping pong player. He, like he doesn't have a whole lot on me these days. So there's not a lot of competing going did on. Did you play growing up? Like did you compete against? We did a lot in the driveway. We really? did a lot. We did a lot like of around the world. Okay. If you know what that game yeah. is, we did that a lot. Um, I was never big enough to guard him in the post. Um, but now, <laughs> he, he still has a great jumper, by the way. Like, we always talked about that when we were stretching for practice at Creighton. Like, can, we shoot, still, can we still call it a jumper, though? Or he, he doesn't jump. No, he <laughs> shoots a lot of free throws. But, like, he can, he can hit, like, 30, 40 free throws in a row. Like, I've never seen a better free throw than he has. Uh, take me inside. I, I never feel like we really got to this when you were in Omaha. I would have loved to have written this story. Take me inside your house on a Sunday, Sunday for lunch or dinner when you go out, you know, to West Omaha after a game. Uh, are you guys, you know, you're with your dad, like like thousands of other people in Omaha are hanging out with their families. Yeah. 
are you talking about basketball? Are you talking about, you know, like, uh, you know, TV? Are you, is, is basketball part of the room? Is it a... Not really. Um, was it ever awkward? It was. I'm not going to lie. It was awkward because there's always kind of that elephant in the room because maybe the day before, like, he was going at me in practice. Like, so there's always that there. Like, I'm not going to forget about that. Like, you're still going to do my laundry here, but... Like, we're not going to talk. Like, there's always kind of an elephant in the room. And I remember I, I tried going out there a lot when he wasn't there, honestly. Oh, really? Like, I'd, I'd try and avoid the awkwardness. Like, I'd always text my mom or call her like his dad home. Like, just to – because I wanted to be around her and my sister. But, you know, it's it was different at that time being around him just because he was my coach. And I didn't like talking about basketball at the time. Like, I didn't want to talk about – like, because he'd bring it up a lot. You know, he'd, he'd, bring, he'd bring stuff up a lot. But that's, What would he say? It's, like it's just more there. like he just he, he's he's just he's a basketball coach so he's always got that on his mind so just certain stuff we got to do as a team like you got to make sure you guys are there early tomorrow like just stuff like that like he I'm his son so and we're all really close on the team so like we got to have a good one tomorrow like you got to let the guys know to be ready tomorrow like stuff like that and I just didn't really want to. He's adding stress to your life when yeah. you when you go home to relieve stress right exactly. Um, so I didn't go home as near as much as I should have, to be honest. Uh, hmm. I'd meet my mom a lot out for lunch. Really? Somewhere by Creighton or go to my sister's games. Like, I, I hardly spent much time at home. <laughs> huh. But uh, we're, like, we were all really, I'm not trying to make it sound like we weren't close. Like, it was still, we were still loving it together. But it just, with the situation that we had, like, I needed some space away from him to be able to stay fresh. <laughs> yeah. No, it makes sense. Uh, has your relationship with your mom changed since you left? I mean, that's that had to be hard on her to see, to have this sort of ideal family situation, and now it's, you know, it's not that way anymore. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, obviously, we still have a great relationship, but I don't think that, you know, <clears throat> we ever expected we'd get those four years together, so I think we just embraced those. Like, it was just a blessing for all of us, and we're all still really close. Like, my mom... As she's lucky enough that Omaha was an hour flight to Chicago mm-hmm. and it's not very far from Oklahoma City so she's got to come to a bunch of my games. Are they doing direct flights now from Oklahoma City? No they City, aren't. Huh? It's yeah, unfortunate so. but it's yeah. only like a seven hour six and a half hour drive. Yeah. So she's been lucky where she's been able to come to all my games like when I got traded to Oklahoma City like I knew like my agent told me we'll have someone that can do all your shipping like they can furnish your new place, everything. I was like, no, I don't need that. I got my mom. Really? She came down for like a whole weekend. We got the place set up. Like she had everything like looking like a home. Like I felt like at home within the second night, like there. <laughs> and like Taj is over here at this hotel ordering room service. I'm over here. I'm like, yeah, I got, I got it all set up. I'm in my own bed already. So that's just, that's the stuff she does. And that's the stuff she loves doing. Describe playing with Russell Westbrook. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an adjustment for sure. Uh, you know, I came, me and Taj came to the team when he was chasing history, you know, so we were like kind of just a part of the, the ride. Like we didn't want to interfere in any way. We just wanted to fit in. Um, and for me, especially it was more just being in the right spots because he's going to find you. You just don't know when, and, uh, you better, you better be ready to shoot it. Um, cause he usually finds you when you're open. Um, but, you know, I had so much fun playing with him. You know, people ask me all the time, is it tough? It really isn't, just because you're watching greatness, and uh, eventually the defense has to make decisions, and uh, it's going to open things up for us. What's amazing about him is, you know, the NBA is full of guys who are sort of genetic freaks. And yet, mm-hmm. so for a guy to stand out at that level as for ha- for his athleticism, I mean – what are the craziest things that you've seen him do or, or you know what are the times that you've kind of stopped yourself and said whoa I didn't I didn't see that coming I would say um, it's not even in games like we'll be at shoot around and you know I'm a guy I'm playing you know 15 20 minutes a game and I'm feeling tired like after a back-to-back and then all of a sudden Russell he'll hop off his his locker room chair come out and just like have the most energy in the world like just go up and just throw down a crazy dunk without stretching and then I'm like okay well if he's doing that I should be good to go today so (laughs) that's like the kind of leadership he has on us he just always has energy 
he's always in a good mood, and I, uh, we always we always follow that. You've seen Paul George quite a bit when you were in Chicago. What mm-hmm. what did you think of his game, and what do you think he'll do to fit in in Oklahoma City? He'll fit right in. <laughs> you know, he's a he's a top five, top ten player in the league. So. I think you can always fit a guy like that in, and I've heard nothing but good things about him. Um, I've seen him out at those USA deals. He always seems like a really humble guy, um, and I'm just excited to you know learn from another great player. I've played with a lot of them so far. Um, you know, playing against Indiana a lot at, in Chicago, um, he's always a problem, and uh, I'm gonna give him crap because I almost dunked on him last year. Like I was so close, I was, I had it. It just rattled in and out, and uh, I won't be shy showing that to him. Who have you dunked on? Can you give me the list that, or, or maybe the, um, I mean, Corver's sort of on that list. but Kind of. Uh, Corver's kind of on that list. He was trailing you, He I was think. trailing me. I kind of blew by him. Uh, I kind of got Paul Millsap that same game. Um, and then I've got Mark, Mark Marcus Morris, I think is the, the one that plays on the Wizards, not the one on the Pistons. I think they kind of flip-flop. They so. do. And then I, I got Marcus pretty bad my second year. That was kind of my coming out party in terms of dunking um and then the next year he kind of put me on the ground and I was concussed for a little bit really <laughs> yeah that's when I was going through my concussions he uh I was going up it probably would have been the best dunk of my life but I don't think he did it intentionally but he kind of he kind of fouled me pretty hard and I landed basically right on my head and uh I don't really remember much after that do you do you find that you still I mean you know, there's the whole white guy stereotype. Uh, how often do you, you know, do you do you hear somebody on the bench, you know, hooting and hollering when you get one like that? It's a yeah. There's a lot of that. <laughs> there's a lot of that in the NBA. I just think people, um, they just don't think I got it in me. And part of it's just, you know, probably they saw me play in college. I wasn't really dunking on guys. I wasn't really doing much of that. It was more a lot of a lot of finesse stuff around the rim. So I think it kind of gives them a little level of respect when I do something like that uh, and it makes you feel pretty good I try and do it in warm-ups a little just to show that I can do it and um, last year I really didn't have many so I need to step it up a little how are you a better player than you were three years ago I went I'm a different player now you know I'm I, I think I've continued to get better but I've just I uh, you know I've, I've had to learn to play a different position honestly um, in college I was mainly a four-man trailing the play posting up a lot I don't really get much of that anymore in the NBA so I knew it would take time because um, you know playing the three and the two in the NBA is probably the toughest spots because you got a guard you got to you just got to adapt to certain you know style of play and uh, it's it's been tough it's been a lot it's been really hard because you're learning how to play a different position at the at the highest stage of basketball so I feel like I've really grown a lot, um, kind of learned my role and try to embrace it. Um, when you see guys that are in the NBA, it's a lot of guys that have kind of just found their niche, and they haven't tried to, but they haven't tried to do too much, you know. And, and I think I've fit that, you know, where I've been able to space the floor, been able to move without the ball, uh, been able to. I think moving without the ball is my best strength, um, and I think I'm finally getting the chance to do that a little more you do think you are I mean because I gotta be honest watching you the first three years one of the most frustrating things is it's like the teams that I'm watching are not taking advantage of your strengths you know it's yeah like, you know it's tough for me to say because you know I'm playing with Russell Westbrook who's the best part in the world I'm gonna be playing with Paul George play with Jimmy play with Dwayne Wade Powell so it's hard to it's hard for a team to let me, as a young guy, come in and start doing all that stuff. You know, whether you agree with it or not, you know, I know it could make us better. Um, but that's just that's just the way the NBA is. You yeah. know, you the coaches have their certain offenses, their certain philosophies, and they kind of stick with them. Um, but you know, when I play with the guys like Joe Keem and Powell, they started finding me a lot on the back cuts, and I'm new with the Thunder, so they're not they don't 100% know my game yet because I only play with them for 30 some games. Uh, being down there around their coaches, I feel like I can really open their eyes a little more and show them I'm more than just a shooter. Yeah, because it's 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 weird because um, your strength in college was that you weren't just a shooter. Mm-hmm. You know, you could do all these different things and mm-hmm. you know, crafty around the basket. And when's the last time? I mean, you you don't take a lot of step back jumpers anymore. No. You know, it's I feel like Ethan Rogge out there <laughs> at times, just standing around, just with my hands ready and. Uh, it gets frustrating, you know. I'm not gonna lie, but that's just that's kind of what my role has been, especially the last year. Just 
and, and you know it's it, it's beneficial to the team you know I'm, a, I'm not a selfish guy you know me being out there on the floor gives Russ those driving lanes you know gives gonna give Paul George those driving lanes gonna give Ennis Cantor all that room in the post um, so you know it's it's not about just scoring you know I'm affecting the game um, but you know I think uh, I definitely know deep down that I can do more um, and you know I think it just takes time in the NBA to to be able to show that do you was there ever an opportunity to be to put on 25 pounds and be a four you know what or did fred, you think about that at fred all? fred talked to me about it a little um after my rookie year really um but you know what like some of these guys that are out there playing the four you don't even have to be that big because you know a lot of times guys aren't they're not thrown into the post as much right. anymore as they well and there's used so much to. help defense yeah too. and like a lot of guys that i'd guard like uh, ryan anderson he doesn't really post up at all so the guys like that are great matchups for me just because um you know i can i can I, i'm used to guarding those spots and you know i feel like i've gotten stronger um but i, I feel like you don't need to get huge because i don't want to lose my touch i don't want to lose the what's made me good my whole life um so you know i think i'm just kind of in between those two spots and uh, I think Billy Donovan um, and the staff down in Oklahoma City um, will really learn how to use me, um, whether that's at the four or the three, um, and uh, I'm, I'm excited for it. Has your shot changed in the NBA? It has a little bit in terms of just, like, getting it off quicker because, um, I mean, these guys are seven-foot wingspans coming at you. You have to be able to get off quick. Like, in college, I had time. Um, now I don't, but... It, Right now, I'm just trying to work on being able to draw those fouls that you know, like Lou Williams gets. Like, that's, a, that's be, easy three points. You want to be more of a slimy, uh, more of a slimy NBA. Player. I don't want to be a flopper, but <laughs> I'm just saying, like, sometimes I get it off too quick, where maybe, you know, I can get three free throws. I asked Anthony Tolliver this question, uh, and you, you would have a good perspective on it too. Mm-hmm. What is the difference between a 500 NBA team and a 55 win NBA team? Is it is it primarily personnel? Is it primarily, you know, chemistry? Is it primarily, you know, what what are the factors? Because I, you know, at that level, it seems like the the gap isn't very wide. No, it's you know? not. It's not. Um, I'd say a lot of it plays into it. You obviously have to have some good players, but I feel like the chemistry part's huge mm-hmm. um, in leadership. Like if your best players are bringing it every night, everyone else is gonna follow. And sometimes that's what you see. Like, there's been guys that aren't labeled as winners, and I think that that could be a that could play a part in it because they're not bringing it every night. But like, I play with a guy now that is is doing it every single night, and we just follow. Like, you see the energy he has. Like, that's the big part. Like, the first five minutes of the game in the NBA is like everything. Like, mm. whatever team. Like, if you start watching the NBA a little more, whatever team comes off and like smacks the first team, like they usually win. Like it's crazy. Like whoever's ready to play will win. Tolliver, he gave a, he gave an interesting example. He said, you know, it's like when you're in the second quarter, and bad teams will, you know, they won't take the charge in the middle of the second quarter. Yeah. And you know, there's a hundred possessions in a game, and if you give away three possessions, like you know, just stupid shots or not yep. rotating or something like that, the gap is so thin that that's the type of yeah. stuff that separates teams. And that, I, that, yeah, that's a good answer, too. Like, there's little stuff, there's little points during the game that are huge like that, and um, I would say the bench has a huge part to do with it, too, because, yeah. you know, the the stars are out there, and then they get their break. Like, you got to be able to maintain that lead or build on it. Like, you don't want to go, you don't want to be a bench guy where the team gets up 14 points and then, all of a sudden, two minutes later, it's down to six. Like those, those bench, the bench players got to be ready, and that's why the Warriors are so dang good because they have vets on their bench who come in and they're they're ready to rock. They keep building the momentum, and they don't lose leads ever, and that's huge in the NBA. How have you handled criticism? Has it changed? I mean, you didn't get much at Creighton. Yeah, um, um, it's it's a little bit different at that level it is and yeah. you've you faced yours yeah. you know partly because you know the bulls traded draft picks to get you mm-hmm. and so the expectations were higher yep. partly because like in this last series in houston you know it, the the bench gave away some leads yep. how how do you how do you handle that 
Yeah, it's it's tough. It's different. Um, and I kind of I knew it was going to be like that in the NBA because mm-hmm. you grow up seeing the NBA media, and it's it's just different. And uh, you know, I know. Uh, I just honestly, I don't really, I don't listen to it anymore. Like I, I don't really get on the social media or anything. Like I just uh, try and avoid it because I know things can change so fast in the mm-hmm. NBA. Like you can have your worst game. Like I remember my sophomore year, like in the NBA like I had literally the worst game of my life at Cleveland after all-star break then the next night back to back I had a 30 point game and like everyone's perspective changed on me so I always go back to that like and Tibbs used to always say that to us like things change quickly like don't pay attention to any of the noise like and that's the stuff I learned from Tibbs like I a lot of people think I didn't like playing for him but I learned so many lessons like just to be able to block everything out and mm-hmm. I think that's where I really learned the most from him. I love how you still call it freshman year, sophomore year. Yeah, year, I, that's season. the way I think of it. Moving into your senior year in the NBA. Yeah. Where do you stay in Omaha? I got a place. You do? Yeah, and I uh, kind of rent it out to a buddy. Okay. During the year and then so in the summer. So he saves you a room or something yeah, like that when you yeah, come back? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Is that kind of what happens? Yeah. Uh, so when you're back, you're living downtown. Yep. That's nice. You don't have to be the 25-year-old who's... It takes like five minutes to get here, two minutes to get here, really, so it's, it's perfect. One guy in the NBA, the one guy in the NBA, you don't want to get caught on a switch or in a one-on-one isolation. Oh. Uh, there's there's a lot of options out there, but who's who's the one guy that, that you would put at the top of the list? Uh, I'd probably say Jamal Crawford. Really? Yeah, like he... And it's like a realistic one for me because he's coming off the bench yeah. usually, and I, so am I. Um, but that dude just has so many like so many tricks in his bag. Like you just don't you don't know what he's gonna do. Like he can just dance you, like hit a shot, like he can shoot. Like those are the guys that are hard to guard. The guys that can shoot but also have a handle. Like I like guarding guys that don't really have jumpers, but they're tough guys, you know, because you can kind of sag off them, help a little more. But right. when you're when you're on Jamal Crawford or guys like that, it's like you're on an island. And uh, he knows how to expose you. Good stuff. Uh, anything that I anything I didn't ask you that you thought I would? Uh, not really. I thought it was it was really good. I got a question for you. What's that? If Creighton versus Nebraska next year at the C Link, who are you cheering for? <laughs> I don't cheer, Doug. You know that. You're wearing a blue shirt. I'm in, I'm in the Creighton facility. <laughs> yeah, I asked you. I was um, always curious, like if you guys had teams. I mean, I know nope. you can't. Probably can't. Answer. You know what? When I was growing up. I was a huge, until about 1996, I was a big Nebraska basketball fan. And then when Dana came and got it going, I became, there was a guy that, a family friend that played for Creighton. And okay. I, I was a big Creighton guy. Nice. And then you get into the media and you just kind of shut it off. Okay. And but I, I know I, you still have a soft spot somewhere, you just won't say. I can promise you this, I have been more critical of Nebraska than mm-hmm. Creighton. Okay. Alright. And I've been very I've been I've been very rarely critical of you. So Okay, yeah, that, that's why I'm on the podcast. <laughs> so my dad might not hop on the that's podcast. Right, that's right, that's right. Thanks for listening to Where I Come From. You can access our full library of episodes at omaha.com slash podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Thanks to Bird Creek for the music. If you have feedback on an episode or ideas for a show, contact me at Dirk period at OWH.com.